You are listening to the Burrows of Berea Side Studies. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea and our little side study. Uh, I'm Rick Welch. I've got Ralph Hicks here and we've got Andy Bishop. We're recording at Giraffe Studio in Hendersonville. Today's topic, something that's been very near and dear to my heart. It's the reason why I wanted to do the podcast, honestly. And that is preconceived notions that come with studying the Bible, preconceived notions that come whenever you become a Christian. There are so many things that you were taught prior to becoming a Christian, just in your everyday life. And even Andy, you've said it yourself, you know, being bathed in the glory of Christianity in America, you pick up a lot of things, right? And so because of that, whenever we go to read the scriptures, a lot of times we have things already laid out for us. If you pick up a Bible and it says the gospel according to Matthew or the gospel according to John or whatever, it's automatic in your brain who wrote the book, Matthew or John, right? right. Also, you look at those little numbers in there, the verses, and there's chapter one, verse three, chapter three, verse 16. So you got the gospel of John, chapter three, verse 16. Well, this was a letter that was written. Um, it's debated how long it was written. We don't know. It's historical. Uh, most people say, if we say the Gospel of John, it was written sometime. They believe in the around 100 AD or after that. Some people believe it's around 67, 68 AD. There's no real way to tell because all we have are copies of copies of copies. And so, um, as these letters were accepted by the church fathers, they were put into the canon. Um, anything that wasn't was either apocryphal or pseudepigraphal. And so, I'm sorry, what is pseudepigraphal? False writing. And funny enough, a lot of studies using pseudepigraphal writing is actually, in my opinion, good because it's coming from the same time. And so because it's coming from the same time that this other letter was written, you can pick up on specific things in culture that you may not have been able to pick up just in the scripture alone, which is awesome. It's a helpful study aid. Apocryphal writing, um, Catholics, they have the Apocrypha in their Bible. You know, they have, they know that they they say that it's not inspired by God, but it's historical. And because it's there, it helps with the study of the actual Word of God. That's what they say. So, apocryphal and pseudepigraphal writing, but canonized books, the ones that were selected, like for us, the ones we have in our modern day Bible, 66 books. There's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Those were set in stone, and that became the canon. And it was these early church fathers and all their writings that determined how to set up this canon. There were lots of councils. There was lots of debate. Well, not all the people and not all the writings, because the canon is just the ones that they decided to say, this is the Word of God, and we're putting it in this book for you. Because there's plenty of other writings by other people and by people who are in here that not everything was found or put into it. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's I guess that's what I'm trying to say, is that it was determined prior to us. You know, it was that these were the holy ones. These were the right. ones that uh, they believed that the Holy Spirit was directly involved in the, the writing of. And I have to admit, when I study it, it's amazing. And I see, when I read a pseudepigraphal or an apocryphal writing, I can feel a distinct difference in the writing versus what I'm reading in Scripture. And I don't know if it's because I read it so much that I've gotten used to the language and anything that's outside of that language feels foreign to me, or if it literally is because the Holy Spirit wrote it and it's saying something to my own 
personal spirit, my own soul. I'm, I'm, I'm picking up on things. But I've noticed a distinct difference in those writings. But chapters, verses, all of those things were put in by man. Uh, you have specific Bibles that have red letter editions. And those red letters were put in by man. So if anytime you see a red letter, that happens to be when the Lord is speaking. And so if you read the context, and I would say 95% of the time, the red letters are in the right place. But there are times that they're actually not in the right place. And you can read it, if you read it yourself and you really pay attention very close to the detail of what's being said, you can see where the author speaks versus whenever the Lord's speaking. You can tell. there would, And there was no punctuation back then. So having a comma in a specific place can change the whole meaning of a sentence. That's how the Jehovah's Witness will say, whenever Jesus was on the cross and, and the thief on the cross looks at you and, and looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. But they say, no, 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 there were there were no commas in Scripture. So he said, I tell you the truth today, comma, you will be with me in paradise, right? So, so what's, the, what's the, the difference in meaning there? Okay, so if I say, I tell you the truth, comma, today you will be with me in paradise, then that means this very day you'll be with me in paradise. If you move the comma and say, I tell you the truth today, comma, now I'm telling you the truth today, you will be be with me in paradise someday. Okay. There's okay. A- so yeah. So it's like a just a little bit of a time. Just yeah. It's just a time thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But, but it also could be one of the most foundational doctrines of a specific sect of Christianity. If they believe that you know today you would be with me in paradise, then that means that when they die, they immediately go to paradise, right? But they don't believe that. They're talking about paradise much later. They believe it's they weren't going into paradise. Oh, know? yeah, that's you right. See what I mean? So you can change the meaning of, you know, an entire church can believe something just because of punctuation, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, they do have a little bit of a interesting reading of some things, don't they? They do. I mean, and we all do, honestly, but that I think that's that's where it's at. So what I discovered is whenever I started reading I just decided to read exactly what was the word only. I wasn't paying attention to chapters and verses. It's irritating. Sometimes they they split a chapter right in the middle of somebody saying something or doing something. And it's like, why did you split it there? Like, let it at least finish the thought. Because if you're studying, a lot of times you'll say, well, I read chapter seven tonight. I'm going to bed. I'll pick up eight tomorrow. Well, if you don't go back and you follow that line of thinking, you can actually get a totally different interpretation. Cliffhanger. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. It's so odd. So I asked Ralph if he would do some studying because I'm going to bring up something that's very controversial. I do not believe that the disciple, John, wrote the Gospel of John. And I'd never thought about it since Rick brought it up. Not that I'd never thought about who we are told. Um, not I just never gave a second of thought to who it really was. Mm-hmm. If you read a letter that was, it comes out and it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ under the church, which is in Ephesus. That's the book of Ephesians, right? Yeah. Well, when they wrote letters, they said their name at the beginning and they said who it was to and all that so that you knew who was writing the letter and who it was going to so that you would be prepared to understand where that message is going and who it's for at the time that it was happening. So when you read a letter in the scripture, knowing who wrote it, can be helpful. 
Well, if you were taught that this is the gospel of John, which was not titled, these letters weren't titled. They were just letters that were circulating among the early Christians. So, there was because there was no title, whenever the church fathers decided to canonize it and they needed to like pretty much wrest this away from the Gnostics of the time and all, you know, or other people they would consider heretics, they were trying to canonize these, they would put the apostles' names or somebody important in the faith as the author of it so that they could legitimize it and make it solid. Well, that makes sense, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart move, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it translates well for people 2,000 years later who's trying to read this this book. If I tell you that it's not John, then it can change a lot of things because it's a common belief in church history or in church you know, uh, tradition that John wrote the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, of course, by the title, and then Revelation. It, because the writing is very similar between all five of those books. I always just assumed that the books were not necessarily by uh, the person named, but that they were more the story of. Mm. And uh, compilations, probably from multiple sources, is mm-hmm. kind of the read I've always had on it. Yeah, and now, obviously that, probably been rewritten a hundred thousand times before even Nicaea. Uh, absolutely. So, and I, I how never many assumed, languages did you get to before oh, you got right. to English? Oh yeah, that was a, I had a that was a fun experiment I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, I wanted to take uh, the 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 it's that silly book, the book of Pastafarianism. Yeah, yeah, and and translate it to a dead language and then back to English just to see what happened. Of course, I don't have the ability to do that, but theoretically, it's hilarious. Time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that, <clears throat> like you just said. I mean, it was the original, you know, language of Hebrew, and then during Jesus' time, which was Aramaic, and then Greek. Um, then it was, you know, translated from those. You know, initial languages. Uh, of course, our current Bibles, um, they use the Latin Vulgate. You know, Vulgate is like vulgar. You know, it's it's this harsh language. Um, there's there's a lot to be said about how the Bible came into be, but that's not what this episode is about. This episode is about reading the context of the actual letter that's been given, that's believed to be the Bible, and trying to ter- to determine, almost like a detective if you can figure out who wrote it. And I can guarantee you it's not John. Um, it's not the son of Zebedee. It's against tradition. But I, I, at this stage of my life, I don't care. You know, what people are going to think what they want. It's not heresy to say it's not John. Um, it's, in my opinion, it's heresy to just assume everything is okay and never think about it or, or talk about it. I think you should study. Paul said, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I agree with him. I think you should. So I want to start there. And Ralph, do you have a a particular belief one way or the other? I mean, did you, did you just always assume it was John or do you think? Well, I was raised as Catholic, so they all say it's John. And I even looked it up uh, on the web in a couple of places to check what Catholics say. And he uh, just punched the possum. <laughs> <laughs> and predominantly, it's that it's John. But one of the cases did say something at the very end of what he was talking about, about it being Lazarus. And then uh, there's a couple other places that John the Apostle, Lazarus, John the Elder, uh, unknown priest or disciple, James the brother of Jesus. Uh, and there have been several other people over the years that have been cited as maybe being it. 
but it could, you know, even Mary Magdalene. Um, yeah, I've heard that theory too. Because and I thought they like took away the feminine, right? So John was what I grew up with, and then uh, when I was probably in my early twenties, there was a guy and I used to talk about the Bible, and he and I at one point looked at it and thought it might be James. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what I said on the phone to you when you called me last week. Right? You said who? I said, well, I think it's James, and you're like. Close, but no cigar. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I can show you that it's not James, but I'll let's start here. Let's go to John chapter 21, and we'll open with verse 20. At the end of this, you know, we've been studying Jesus's life, his resurrections, and then getting him to the point of burial. So this is after the burial, okay? And we're going to go back. The next time we have Billy back here, we're going to get back into that original study. But from, from a side perspective, most of the things that I've been talking about have been coming from the Gospel of John. And so at the end of John, after John 21, after after Jesus has been resurrected, uh, they went to the tomb, it's empty, they're running around, they're trying to figure out, what's, you know, what are we going to do? And then Peter, who is the leader of this band of disciples that have been scattered since this crucifixion, decides to go back to his old fishing boat fishing vessel and to go fishing. Um, they're supposed to be waiting for Jesus. Jesus has shown himself uh, a couple of times, but they're waiting on him. And <clears throat> Peter, as we remember, he's denied Christ three times. And so they're all fishing one night. And then this man comes up on the beach and he says, you know, how's the fishing going? And they say, we didn't catch anything. And he says, try cast it on the right side. So they do. They have this miraculous catch of fish, which is exactly how Peter met Jesus in the first place. It seems a very Jesus-like thing to do. It right? is. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I apologize for that phone call. So, Peter goes back to the beach. They go run up to see Jesus, and they have this little discourse. And then afterwards, they're walking on the beach, okay? And verse 20 says, Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following— which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Verse 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, so verse 24 is saying this disciple who is the disciple whom Jesus loved is the one that wrote this book. Okay? So now, it's always sort of eluded me. When I was reading the scripture, it, I just always assumed it was John. I never thought twice about it. But then when I made the film, Resurrection and the Life, I was we always want to give credit where credit is due. And so we want to say, you know, written by John. You know, that's what I was doing. I was trying to be clever. Like, okay, I made this movie. I used exactly the words just from the Bible because that's the way I wanted to do it, exactly to the Bible. And then at the end, I wanted to be clever and say, written by John. But after I read it, I was like, wait, it never says it's actually written by John. It's called the Gospel of John, but it never actually says it's John. 
but it is the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, in order to give the credit, I said, written by the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, it became mysterious to me. This was years ago, you know? Well, it started bugging me because I was like, well, wait, if it, how do I know it's John? You know, we touched on this, the disciple whom Jesus loved thing a couple times in the prior episodes, if anybody's not caught up that it happens to be listening. That's right. And those three people are three audience listeners. Yeah. Very devoted. So, <laughs> well, there me. were several times when people were called beloved. When? In the Bible. His first meeting with Jesus, John 1, 35 to 37. His first appearance at the Last Supper. His appearance at the high priest's house. Oh, his he was appearance called, at the foot of the cross. Was he uh, beloved by Jesus in all those examples or just beloved? John beloved one, by Jesus. So, oh, there's, okay, seven, okay. there's seven examples of so, saying. Let's hear it. John 1 what? John 1, 35 to 37. 135. I've got one here that is John. It says, and again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So where's the beloved part? You're not going to find it, Ralph. <laughs> then Peter turned, well, th this other one here said, then, then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast. And that is John 21, 20. That's what I just read. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's not just in that place in the Bible. There's several other places where... Where he says the disciple whom Jesus loved? There's seven times, actually, where it says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, I think that's, that is what Ralph said. Yeah. Yeah, so you're talking about the beloved disciple. Yeah, but it doesn't actually say it's John. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say who it is either time. Yeah, anytime. in any of those places, it doesn't mention it. And even though I was raised Catholic, when we would have talkings, they would still say they don't know who the author of, you know, this is, and they don't know. They're not sure if that he's the author. He just had a lot of things that it sounded like him. Yeah, and the same thing with the Revelation. So that's right. That's why. That's why if you read Revelation, the language sounds very familiar to the Gospel of John. That's why they attribute this all to the same writer. But because inside the book of Revelation, he says, I, John, because he uses the name John, everybody automatically thinks it's either John the Elder or John the Apostle. There's no way it could be somebody else. His name is John, so it has to be John. Well, yeah, and there was one article that was talking about two of the chapters that they figured were John the Elder just because it was very similar to his writings. Mm -hmm. Because he was most likely the person, because at the end of this, it says, if you read the end of John 21, he says, and we know that his witness is true, that automatically shows you there's a second person involved that's writing this. Yeah, yeah. This is the, this is the disciple that testifies to these things, and his testimony is true. We know that his testimony is true. Wait, we, there's yeah, more than one. Yeah, who's the we? Yeah. That's well, right. And, and like you said earlier, it's man that's written all this stuff, because I remember over the years, them talking about who they thought wrote this and who they thought wrote that because they weren't sure, but everybody did their best guess or whatever was written down in the past. So, right. Um, even though, even though it is divine written, uh, like you say, they only highlight certain things that this was what Christ said or this is what so and so said. And all the books that go back say, you know, these were all translated. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever tried to debate them because they haven't found any flaws in the when they go to the original text. Yeah, and you know what? It's funny. If you'd have looked at me and said, this is a divine book, before my conversion, I would have laughed out loud. Like, this, this what a joke. Like, are you serious? I, I didn't feel this way. 
until I was converted and then I studied it myself. That's when it became divine. That's when I realized, oh, wait, there's some brilliant men in the world, but there's not over a 1,500-year period that are this that are this intertwined and so perfectly placed. The only thing I could come up with is, man, the Jewish people, they must be writing these books after the fact and then calling it <laughs> prophecy because it's, they're killing it. Like, these guys are 100%. You know, like, this yeah. is weird. You know, that's the only thing that yeah. made sense to me. Like, they had to be writing it after. But it they, had to be. They missed the biggest one. Yeah. <laughs> well, they wrote it after. They're still waiting for him. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm going to bring up a really interesting point. Do you know... In the scripture, how many people that are named to be loved by Jesus? I don't know because I've never looked it up, but I did find four, five, or six of them today when I was looking online. Mm -hmm. I didn't count. There's only one named man in all of scripture. Only one in the entire Bible. Not I mean, well, I thought you were talking about who they thought all these people were that were uh, supposed to have been that person. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about not the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm talking about how many people in Scripture are actually th- have a special relationship where it says, "And Jesus loved oh, well, this we did person." That, we did that the two podcasts ago because was, when Lazarus right you read was it. dying, she said, "Lazarus, whom you love." Yes, that's the only time it says. It says that, that the sisters, in John chapter 11, where we were reading before, it says that the sister, Martha, tells Jesus, right? Because he's sick. and it, If you only would have been here. Right. But it, she says, his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now, if I break that down, it was his, his sisters that said that he loved him, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that that's true, the sisters believed that he loved him. You know, that's fair. Yeah, but they chose the words to go in the Bible pretty selectly. Well, there's, I think there's a lot of gospels that aren't in the gospels because they said this doesn't count. Sure. Like the gospel of Judas, the gospel of James, not James, but uh, Thomas. Thomas, the gospel of Philip. A couple of women. Yeah, Mary Magdalene, yeah. gospel of Mary. Yeah, there's several. There's several. So whenever. Whenever they say, behold, you know, the man whom you love is sick, Jesus doesn't come right away, right? So then later on, Jesus says, um, let us go into Judea again. And the disciples are trying to stop him. And he says, uh, in verse John chapter 11, verse 11, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Our friend Lazarus. So our. That means that the disciples knew who he was and that they were friends. Jesus says at one point in his life, he says, There's no greater love, there's no greater love than this than a man that lays down his life for his friends. So Jesus considered Lazarus a friend. The disciples considered Lazarus a friend. This is the very first time, and this is what'll blow your mind. Did you know that Lazarus is never mentioned in Matthew, Mark, or Luke? No. Don't you think that's kind of interesting? For somebody that everybody seems to know. and We like, talked about the yeah, rock star status and all of the things that happened. You've never heard his name in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They never say it. And to try to say that, I'm not even saying that it's a, a problem necessarily. I, I know why his name's not in it. We're going to get to that. But they never mention him. 
but they do mention things that are near him. And when that happens, it's unique. But Lazarus, this, this resurrection of Lazarus is never mentioned, except in the Gospel of John. Okay? Well, there, not every gospel says everything. So there are things missing from all, That's one that, fair. Aren't, that aren't in another. That's fair. But the Gospel of John said that Jesus loved Lazarus, and Jesus had such a close relationship, and then he resurrected from the dead. And then it also says later on, remember in last the last podcast, I said at the triumphal entry, the reason why they were there was because of Lazarus. So the triumphal entries in every gospel, why didn't the other authors mention that it, they're there because of the fame of Lazarus? I don't know. Maybe they're told a different way. Maybe they're trying to hide it. Why would they try to hide that? I'll tell you why they're trying to hide it. Especially being that there were so many apostles. I mean, just because we know of 12 doesn't mean that there weren't hundreds of people following him, many of them apostles. And, and in fact, Peter had uh, had apostles. Yeah. And he introduced them. I mean, it's even that's even in Scripture where he introduced, this is Jesus, you know, to his, his apostle, which was uh, Simon Peter. Simon Peter is Simon Peter. No, no, I'm trying to think. I don't of who know it about. Was. Are you talking about John the Baptist had apostle had disciples? I don't know of Peter having apostles. Yeah, but I mean, I meant disciples. Disciples. I yeah, don't know. That Peter, Peter didn't have disciples. He had yeah. a brother named Andrew, and he was a fisherman. Several of them, of them brought people who kind of followed what they had to say, and they brought yeah, them to the friend, master. Yeah, so they they brought people that became disciples of Jesus. Is what you're saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, John the Baptist had disciples himself. In fact, I believe that Lazarus is one of the earliest ones. And it's and I'll show you here in a sec because in the beginning of John he uses and there were two disciples like he had two disciples I believe Lazarus was a disciple of John the Baptist and then began to follow Jesus I guess the biggest point that I want to make in this early phase is why was he hidden from the other gospels and to say, well, a lot of things are hidden, whatever, but there's also something unique about the Gospel of John, which is there's an author who's trying to hide his identity, correct? He's hiding his identity. Yeah, he never mentions. Well, that's the point. At the end of it, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, but he never gives himself a name. He's hiding his identity. Why do you think that is? Don't you find that interesting? I'm interested. Yes and no. Uh, less because back then— Everyone was hiding that was a Christian. So I could right. see, I, I could see exactly. that. Now, if you go back to John 11, and we see that Jesus has raised him from the dead, right there at the end, notice what it says. After he raises him from the dead, or actually, I think it's right before it. Uh, it's right before Jesus weeps on John eleven forty five. What do the Jews say something about it? Whenever he's, he's upset in his heart. Um, verse 36, John 11, verse 36, where he says, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept, verse 36. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. So now you've got the sisters, but then the Jews also said, and if Jesus called him a friend, Obviously, Jesus had a relationship with him before him, and Jesus did actually love him. He was willing to lay his life down for a friend, and he called Lazarus a friend. So now you've got the sisters agreeing, you've got Jesus agreeing, and now the Jews have even said, behold, how he loved him. That's a lot of people saying love about this one man, Lazarus. Don't you agree? Yes, but I, the other side of me just kind of thinks 
after I left the Catholic Church, what I thought God and Jesus was. And I thought, I think God loves everyone. Mm-hmm. I think, like, God he loves does love everyone. And I think there's a show on television that someone was watching at my house the other day because I don't really watch a lot. I go to sleep to it, maybe. But there was Satan was on the show. And I was looking at his character and I'm thinking, you know what? If Satan said, God, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I screwed up. I got no problem. I, my God says, come on in. If you truly feel that way and God would know, then that's perfect. So I think he loves everyone. No, I don't think he loves Satan ever. Do you? Yeah. You think, if, you think if Satan asked for forgiveness, God would forgive him? I do. Oh, those days are over. I don't think so. I think Long time ago. You know, Satan went there because he was on his last one and he broke it and he was sent. But if God says he'll redeem you no matter who you are, and he was loved. Uh, we're, we're supposed to be judging the angels. You know that, right? According to Scripture, we judge the angels. It's harder for us than it is the angels. They've been in his presence. We were born in sin. He made it. Oh, I'll be lucky to get in. I'll be, I'll be that last guy. <laughs> it ain't got nothing to do with you, buddy. It's I'm, everything Jesus did. Well, like I said, I know I'm in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, I'll probably be that last guy squeaking through the fence. <laughs> yeah. I'll be waving. <laughs> hey, Ralph, over here. Remind me to tell you guys a joke later. It'll be about uh, getting into heaven. So right after John 11, because of this fame uh, that he had, that Lazarus had got, it was very clear that the Pharisees, or actually the chief priests, wanted to, to kill Lazarus too. And it says it in Scripture. And maybe we could find that real quick, exactly where that is. Was Lazarus um, at the cross? Yes. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, but it doesn't, I, I couldn't find a place today. I was looking to see who was at the cross. Because as I was looking at these different... At the cross, uh, his beloved was at the cross. His beloved here, but I, I tried to cross-reference different things, and the only thing I couldn't find was Lazarus. At the, anything that said Lazarus was at the cross. It says the lived. disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, not, but I didn't say Lazarus. Name, yeah. Right. I was just looking for it. Yeah. Um, if you are in John chapter twelve, verse nine, uh, this is after. This is another place Lazarus is mentioned. Six. Well, the plot. Yeah. Exactly, the plot. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, talking about Lazarus. So they're, everywhere Lazarus is going, there's a big crowd, right? And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. That's John chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. So it's obvious in that the Gospel of John has brought out this character whom you've never heard of before— if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you've never heard of this man, but all of a sudden, he has this gigantic role, and he's around Jesus all the time. Anytime they're in Bethany, Lazarus is there, that's for sure. Anytime they're at the house of Martha, you've heard of Martha, but you haven't heard of Lazarus. Oh, I would say Je- Lazarus followed Jesus. It Absolutely. He sure did. And he was closer than people think. Rick's speaking specifically to the absence of Lazarus in other books. In other books, that's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, guys, I find that strange. It's strange to me if he is 
If he is that critical of a character, he's the only other person that the chief priests have determined to kill. Yeah, but they wanted to kill him because Jesus raised him from the dead, and him being around and alive still is a threat to them. That's right. But he is also the only other man that at that time, the chief priest. By the way, you said chief priests, right? There's, that's right. There's two. We know who they are, Annas and Caiaphas. But you know you never hear of Annas in the other books either. You don't hear about Annas until you get to the Gospel of John. And here's why. Because the disciple whom Jesus loved is part of the inner circle of the priests. I can show you that too, and I'm going to. The next time. No, I'm going to show you today. I'm not done until we find it, okay? So this person, this disciple whom Jesus loved, was known by the priests, okay? Lazarus was known by the priests too. They wanted to kill him. There was something unique about Lazarus because he was raised from the dead. But the chief priests have heard of this man and, and this fame that he's getting, and they want to kill him. All right? So now, after chapter 12, guess how many more times you hear the name Lazarus? I don't know, Rick. How many more times? Thank you. Do you you have to say it on a podcast. Zero. You'll never hear the name Lazarus again. But when you go to chapter 13, Lazarus, <laughs> when you go to chapter 13, you're going to discover a whole new character that you've never heard before. The disciple whom Jesus loved. This is where it happens. It's so definite to me that the Holy Spirit or whoever was writing this book or whatever is really trying to hone in on something. There was a man that Jesus loved, a man that Jesus loved, a man that Jesus loved. He was always there reclining with him. He's reclining with him at the table. And then later, the chief priests want to kill him. This is the one that Jesus loved. There's all kinds of fame. There's all kinds of people there. It's huge. Then suddenly, this man disappears. Gone. He's not in any of the other Gospels. He's only mentioned in two chapters in the book of John. And after that, it's done. You never hear from him again. Sorry, Charlie, it's not John the Apostle. The disciple whom Jesus loved, this author is concealing his identity for a reason because his fame is not what he's there for. This book is is being written so that those who read it will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the Son of God, the only begotten Son. That's the whole purpose of this book. He's made it clear. I've only written, written this so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So, so it's just uh, too much popularity. It's like uh, it's, it's, it's like it's, too much. He's Lazarus was getting too much hate. Uh huh. But yes, no. And that's not the point. That's not actually. Why we're here. It's funny you say that about heat. Yes and no. The disciple whom Jesus loved is given something very unique by Jesus, his own mother. Well, life, yes. 100%. Oh, yeah, from now, the cross, he said, this is your mother. Yes. He says, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. And he took her to his own household. It can't be James, the brother of Jesus, because He's part of Jesus' household. He's part of that household. This man has his own household, his own, okay? Now, so he's very unique. Mary is going to go live with this disciple whom Jesus loved. He's going to take care of because Jesus was the oldest of all of his siblings. It would make sense that she would stay with the family, 
It would make sense. Now, you said something earlier, Andy, that's really cool. You said life. Think about this for a second. Yes. If <laughs> you've been dead for four days, but yet prior to your death, you were really close to this man, so much so that you loved one another. I don't know how, if you've ever had a love for a man, like a friend man or a man, where you really feel love towards somebody. And it's a kinship that's, that's unbreakable. It's amazing. And you die. And then four days later, he brings you back from the dead. He's the only man this has ever happened to in this fashion, ever. If he was close to him before, do you think that he would be close to him after? Yeah, it seems like he'd keep that person around. Don't you, you think? Yo, dude, I owe you one, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Do what now? It's like, hey, you, dude, I owe you one, eh? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're so close to Rome that speak of the Now, Italian. listen, when he tells you he's got your back, <laughs> he's got your back. So suddenly, when you get to chapter 13, you, you hear, let's see what it says. And supper being ended, the devil having now put, this is John chapter 13, verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father, <clears throat> pardon me, had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Okay, so now he's washing the disciples' feet. Later on, he, he's, he's telling them about being a servant. And then he says, in verse 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked upon on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He, then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him and said, Jesus unto him, that, that thou doest do quickly. So boom, the disciple whom Jesus loved suddenly appears out of nowhere. Who is this guy? I, I, to be fair, I mean, they could just be, you could imagine a world in which Jesus loves all his disciples and that's just, you know, placeholder for mm -hmm. random, random person that Jesus loves because he's Jesus, you know. As, oh as yeah, like, to, I, like I said earlier, Jesus loves everyone. I but would like to couple say. Of things, that, is, there's, go ahead, there's, go ahead. You have to remember this was translated a couple of different times before it got to our language. So we're taking a look at that based on history. There used to be a lady on TV when I was in California um, that she used to talk about the original language. And she'd talk about Latin, she'd talk about Greek, and she'd talk about how words mean when you say them this way or when you say them that way, or when you spell them this way or you spell them that way, and how the translation sometimes in trying to get to the root of exactly what it is. But to, to what you were just saying about what you were talking about where you thought there was some proof. There was one of the studies I found, which was the most interesting. And by the way, I I, I don't know that I believe or don't believe it was Lazarus or anyone mm -hmm. else, um, but you've made a compelling case, especially after I read this. 
uh, there's a guy named Witherington refers to John 20 when Peter and the other disciple, when they ran to see the empty tomb, Peter's trying to stand there and trying to figure out what's happened, what's happened, and the other one saw and believed. Just he saw and he's like he believed, and his supposition is that uh, uh, the other disciple understood what happened because the tomb because he had had the same experience. He had risen from the dead. Yeah, yeah, which would and, be one one person that we can think of. That's one of my. And the other thing I'm glad is, you brought it up. Uh, that uh, the the evidence he was giving is no one else lived two miles away. He was two miles from where that happened, and he was a Judean, so he wasn't worried about being arrested. Because just like being a Roman, you're not getting, you know, certain things you, they can't do to you. So those were two things that uh, had had pointed to Lazarus. Whenever Lazarus was in the tomb, right before he was unwrapped, it said that his head was wrapped about with a napkin. The word napkin is sudarion. It's only used four times in all of Scripture, and it's only used on two people. Jesus, Jesus and, and Lazarus. Lazarus. And it says later that whenever the disciple whom Jesus loved ran. By the way, the other Gospels don't mention a second disciple going to the tomb. They only mention one. Oh, that's interesting. Peter. Mary goes early. She comes back. She warns them. The other Gospels say that Peter goes to the tomb. John, the Gospel of John, is the only one that says that another disciple was with him. It was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Another disciple. He runs, another disciple runs up with him. He beats Peter to the tomb. He runs past him. Why? Just because he was athletically better? Do you think that the author is trying to prove that he is more athletic than Peter? He's not. That's not what he's saying. Yeah, it would be an odd detail. Yeah. It's like, and by the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved did 100 push-ups. That would be athletic. He beats him to the tomb, and he stops and doesn't go in. He stops, and he looks inside, and he sees the sudarion. He stops. Peter jumps in, runs inside. Get in here. Come in here. And so whenever the disciple whom Jesus loved enter in, or this other disciple, the other disciple is also the same disciple whom Jesus loved. It's all the same person. He's hiding his identity. When he gets inside the tomb, he sees the napkin and believes. He sees the sudarion. That's exactly why because he's had that experience. No, it, it does make sense. One of the, uh, Somebody said here, going to your other point about the book uh, of the gospel not being written by John, but being written by Lazarus, is that uh, from his studies, he's claimed that John edited Lazarus's book after Lazarus passed away, saying we don't have any proof of it, but uh, everything that he read points to who the real beloved disciple is, meaning Lazarus. Mm-hmm. That's a, I've never even heard that. That's that's actually okay with me. That because we know that at the end of it, it was edited by somebody, so that's very possible. I mean, a lot of that stuff was passed down. A lot of the stuff was written by other people who were. I think the same thing about the Bard. Yeah, I think that he, he was just smart enough to take all those stories and put it into something that was edible on on the stage. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Shakespeare. I am. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he stole a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and so the same thing with these. Not all these guys were great at writing. They could take their letters and write things, but they may not have put everything that they wrote in the letters in this because he might have been saying hello to so-and-so. Well, you don't need to have that in there. Just like you're going to edit this and some of the pops and jiggers aren't going to be in there. So. Yeah. Well, 
so let's look at something else. This is a unique thing. Um, you know, I talked about when Jesus went into the garden right before he was betrayed. As he is, <coughs> I don't know. I keep coughing. Pot. <coughs> Do you need water? <coughs> no. Um, Good, because I wasn't going to give you any. <laughs> Can I have some of those really cheap granola bars, though? Yes, <laughs> as many as you want. No, Eat no box. water. Many dry granola bars. <laughs> so no after, soup for you. One year. Yeah, exactly. So after after Jesus um, has this prayer in the garden and. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. It says that Peter pulls out a sword and he strikes the servant. In uh, chapter 18, verse number 10, then Simon, Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So it's kind of unique, Ralph, because the servant had a name. He's never named any of the other Gospels. But this guy knew the name. It says, and we've always heard that all the disciples run away. Well, Simon Peter's still following, and it says this, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, this is verse 15 in chapter 18, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. <clears throat> For it was cold, and they warned themselves, and Peter stood with them and warned himself. Now, so this disciple was known of the high priest and had immediate entrance into this inner sanctum. That's a man of import. Exactly. He so, but how did he know? How did he know? How was what? he part of the circle? Huh? How was he part of the circle? Lazarus, the inner circle of the priest. He's. You said that earlier. What I'm saying is that this disciple whom Jesus loved, this this, this other disciple, we're finding out something about him. Whether it's Lazarus or not, we're learning about this disciple. Right, right. This disciple was known by the high priest, was part of the inner crowd. He could get in. So I was just wondering how he was known by the high priest and part of the inner crowd. It's like being known by them, I understand that he was famous, but— No how, one else could go into the inner sanctum. How how did he get entrance into that? Because he was known. But yeah, I was just wondering Why how was he, he was known. known. For, for what? How did he—how was he— I would, How was he in that group? I think the shortcut answer to a lot of these questions, for better or for worse, is just he was a rich man. Probably. I would say absolutely. But in my opinion, he was a priest. Didn't know. There's the answer I was looking for. He was a priest. I'll go with the one that has to do with money. But bring me both <laughs> are true. Well, priests had money too. Yeah, there you go. But he was so a did priest. Popes and wives. and mm -hmm. Well, not wives, but... He was known Kids. as a priest. He could get into the intersectum because he was known. Okay? He was known. He was a priest. So, he gets in. Now, let's go to the end of the story. And then I'm going to show you how John wasn't known of the priest. Okay? All right? So, let's go to the very end of John. And if this doesn't blow your mind, Ralph, it's only because you, you're not listening to me. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, there's the difference between listening and hearing. <laughs> <laughs> He's exactly right. So, in, in, in order to hear, I must care. Yes. So, if you remember the part at the end, whenever Peter um, is asked by Jesus, he says, Peter, do you love me? Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And then he says, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> but you will deny me three times. Yeah, but so, well, he says at the end, he, he asks him if he loves him three times, and Peter says, yes. And then he tells him to feed my lambs, feed my sheep, right? Well, then they go walking on the beach. So it says right here, at the end of it, he says, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, John chapter 21, verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, Thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now notice what it says in verse 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. So right after he says, yes, I love you, Jesus tells him how he's going to die. You're going to follow me. You're going to die by following me, okay? This is what he says to Peter, right? And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Verse 20, listen to this. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. So what's Peter asking? What's going to happen to this guy? So you're telling me if I follow you, I'm going to die. What's going to happen to him? He says, If I'm going to allow him to live until I come again, That's up to me. You follow me. That's what he tells Peter. Why would he ask what's going to happen to John? Why would he even ask the question? So, well, if I'm going to die, then what's going to happen to John? Is that what he's asking? He's just being shown his humanity there. I mean, you know, how many times have we heard people do that? How How come I have to do that? If he's got to do it, what do I got to do? (laughs) My kids do that. It's a nice thought. And you're right. It's a nice thought. But listen, Ralph, listen to the next thing that's said right after it. It says... Then went this saying abroad among the brethren, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Well, to me, that's just got Jesus saying, look, it doesn't matter what I do with him. I've told you, follow me. So keep your eye on me. Definitely, but I think not on the, this. What if he? What if he'd already died before? Wouldn't there be a question? You think? <sighs> this isn't a stretch. He's the only man that's ever been spoken of as being loved by Jesus. He's the only man that had all this fame and brought people to Jesus. And then he's also the only man that doesn't get named in all of Scripture. Yeah, but he wasn't named suddenly by disappears. Jesus. He was named by Martha. So she said it. 
Martha, Martha, Martha. No, sorry. I'll what are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, you said where he was named. The beloved was named, but as far as Lazarus and being The only time said, it's mentioned is 11 and 12 in the book of John. It's the only time Lazarus is ever mentioned. Right, but when when his sister says, Lazarus, whom you love, that's the only time that a name was put next to the beloved or the one you loved or anything. It's only It was only Lazarus, and it was only by her. It wasn't by anyone else. No, it was else. by the Jews. Behold, how he loved him. And Jesus called him his friend. Well, yeah, but he just raised him from the dead. So that's just saying, that's just a writer embellishing and saying, wow, he must have really loved him. He in hadn't order raised to bring him from him the back. dead yet. He, he hadn't raised right, him but from this the is, dead. Yeah, but this wasn't written before or during it happened. It was written after. Are you talking about when the book else. was written? Yeah. Oh, I still don't follow what you mean, but I'm trying. He's saying that, yeah, that might be editorial uh, sure. flourish. Sure. That's true. All right. So let's go to Acts chapter four, and then I'm going to stop right there. So in Acts chapter 4, there is Peter and John are out and about, and they've done these miracles, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees are up in arms, and they grab these guys and bring them before the high priests, okay? Now, it says in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 5, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, this is Peter and John, okay? Peter and John. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner." neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Just because they weren't priests. They were unlearned and ignorant men. They didn't even know who they were. Yeah, but back then, most of the learned and unignorant men were priests. There were some rich people, but not Mostly, it was mostly the scribes and the scholars and, and the priests that, that had studies. Yes, I agree with you 100%. So John and Peter, being fishermen, would have been considered unlearned and ignorant. Okay, that's true. So if he's unlearned and ignorant and isn't known because he's of the priest line, but he's not known, then how did John get to the inner sanctum of the chief priest because he was known by him? Because Lazarus? Thank you. <laughs> well, that, of course, is all speculative. It's like getting into a bar and you go in with somebody who knows the bouncer. <laughs> That's right. Or some, yeah, somebody at Daddy Dad. Or you're with a hot girl. <laughs> yeah, influence in, in that never happened to me, by the way. No. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I knew the bouncer sometimes, but. <laughs> never with a hot girl? Yeah, no, no, no. I was, I, was the one, I was the one that she looked at. Eh. That's the other way Come to get now. in is to bring hot is to bring hot girls. Jennifer's pretty hot. Well, I think so. Well, she ought to. It's his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I knew her in school. I knew her a long time ago, back in the day. 
Yeah, and if you guys want stories, <laughs> I don't have any to share. That Jennifer wouldn't cut my face off if I oh, said. Oh no, no, no! I'm saying if you want stories about Rick, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> she's got them. Uh, oh, good to know. Oh, good to geez. know. no, Jennifer, no. Anyway, that's all I've got for this. I mean, I actually have a whole lot more, but the the time is up. We've been doing this side study for some, for quite yeah, some time. We're at an hour, yeah. but. I appreciate you talking with me about it and I, giving you very little time to study and all that stuff is probably not fair. And I, I want to be able to. Well, no, I'm actually glad it came up because it made me go in and look at things. Cause it was one of those, when you called and we talked about earlier, you said you at an age where you don't care. And when you called me, I was like, okay, yeah, this would be interesting to think about because I have heard in the past that, that you know, they didn't really know who it was that wrote it. And that makes sense being that that was, was the beloved. Uh, but I'd never really thought of it. So it's like you said, I didn't really care. It didn't bother. It, it didn't change my faith whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting to look at because what it what it what it did for me in that moment is I'm always looking for reasons to study. Yeah. Because you know, reading the Bible sometimes can be a bit boring. And so I love to find something that I can dig into and then come back to it. And one of the things that you said that made me think, oh gosh, when I'm studying, I'd like to do, I'd like to do something like that is going on and and taking a look at something and looking at it a different way. You said you were reading the gospels not by what's in red, by what the dialogue was and saying that was written by Christ, that was written by Christ, that was because you could pick it out. And then reading this another way and trying to figure out about Lazarus and who was the beloved makes me look at scripture in a different way and it you know it made it exciting while I was while I was doing it cuz I'm a nerd and I love to look yeah, stuff it gives up. Yeah, a new way to slice the same bread. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which is what we're all supposed to do anyway is supposed to study, you know. It's it's hard to believe a lot of things. It's hard to believe, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. How he says he says all of this looking directly at me. Yeah, well, well, the other thing is, you know, you have a kid. Now, if you don't believe that's miraculous, then I'm sorry. you. It's miraculous, but there are reasons for it. Mm-hmm. And none of them require magic. Sure. I mean, there was a... Uh... The magic of an, of an egg splitting and splitting and splitting and splitting. It's no less miraculous for not requiring magic, though. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely have, you know, I've toyed around with a lot of different things throughout the course of my life. And this is the one that I landed on that I've had the most actual experiences with. And I've put the Lord, not to the test, like tempting the Lord, but on the things that he said that we should do as believers, I've put him to that test and he has followed, he's come through, which is, it's unique to me because it's no longer just a thought. It's no longer just knowledge. It's no longer just talking about something. I've actually experienced something that before I never, I've never experienced. You know, I think it's a wonderful feeling. I've, I've experienced that many, many, many times through my life where I say, okay, this one, I've just got to trust. And it always comes through. I mean, it's never, ever, I've never been failed when 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 I was led mm-hmm. and I followed, and and it's always just happened. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's uh, yeah, I know it's going to be that way because because I I know it and I see it and I and I trust it. Did I ever share um, the story about me fasting in here? 
not not to me. It's um, I'll share this and then I'll I'll close with that. But before I get into that, I'll, I'll share that testimony real, real quick, just so you guys know. Um, there was a letter written by Clement um, of Alexandria to a guy to someone named Theodore, and he had talked about a secret gospel, you know, of Mark. It's sort of and this. He was around in the like 150 to 200 AD, and he said that there was a letter. Um, and that there was supposedly a young man um, that had traveled around with Jesus, and in the gospel, the original gospel of Mark, that there was there's this one man that says when they're capturing Jesus when he's being betrayed that he was wearing a linen cloth but was naked underneath, and they tore off that garment and he ran away naked. Have you ever read that in the gospel of Mark? It's a unique thing, and that I don't that, know that I remember it. and that that man was Lazarus. It's in the letter. I always wondered who that man was. I just thought that was interesting. But that man's name was John Eleazar. And Eleazar, translated into English, is Lazarus. Eleazar. Lazarus's actual name was John Eleazar. And John Eleazar, Eleazar is a name from the priest line. What was the most common name in the time of Jesus? <sighs> John. John. <laughs> it was yeah. every article I read said John I was, gonna was say Mary, by far the most common name. For men, I was going to say Mary was for women because there's like four of them at the tomb. <laughs> Mary, the mother of Andy, Mary, the mother of yeah, Ralph, Ma- and Mary, Mary the mother sister. of Rick. <laughs> yeah, lots of them. So I had read in the scripture a long time ago that there was this young, there was a young man that was demon possessed. And Jesus had just done the transfiguration on top of the mountain and was coming down, and there was this big kerfuffle of people that were going around, and some disciples were with this child. By the time he gets there, he realizes that the disciples can't exercise the demon out of this this child, and all of the people are like, it's like, it's a problem. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. This kid's like writhing in pain, and the disciples say, we can't get this demon. And Jesus says, how long must I live with this faithless generation? You've got the power. Why don't you use it? So he he goes and he looks at the father and he says, how long has this child been suffering from this? And he said, since birth. And he says, please, Lord, if, you know, help me. And he says, I can help him if you believe. And he says, Lord, I believe. Help mine unbelief. I felt like that before. Have you ever been there? Yeah, it's a doubt. It's, it's that, that it's doubt. That, it's that you want to believe because in. of what's going on, but there's this doubt that's happening simultaneously. So Jesus wrenches this demon out of this boy, and the boy is healed, right? And so later on, the disciples are asking him, you know, why is it that we couldn't get this demon out of him? And Jesus says, there are some things that are, you can only do through fasting and prayer. Now, Jesus has very specific rules about fasting. He says, don't let anybody know that you're doing it. Comb your hair, clean your face, present yourself, because what you're doing is something between you and God. It's secret. No one is to know it. And then your Father will reward you. Okay, so there's this, there's this, the secretness to this relationship with the Father that, that has to happen in order for it to work. And I, and I don't mean like, let's play this little game. I mean, this is a sincere effort on your part to do something because you feel burdened towards something or, or need to help someone. And I had this, I knew this person and this person was um, terribly, terribly addicted to methamphetamines. I mean, terribly to the point where his life was ruined. And I just remember feeling so much compassion for him and he was married and their family was always in disarray. And I just, 
man, I just felt for this guy because I always saw him try, like he would try, but he could never get that far because that monkey would never get off of his back. And guys, I'm not, I, I don't know about demons and stuff. Okay, I don't. I'm not going to get into all that. But, and I believe that what happened and what Jesus did, I believe that it's true. Do, are there demons now that I can cast out and I can do all these things? Look, I don't run around casting out demons, okay? But what I am going to say is that I had a burden for this man that was struggling with something that was controlling his life. And so I can say it now because it's been years. This has been years now. And so, and this is not bragging. So anyone hearing this, I'm not bragging. Just listen to me. I decided that I was going to fast because I felt that if there was something that could possibly reach him, that it was God. And if I did this because of the burden that I'm feeling for this man, that God would be able to do it. So I told my wife that, listen, I'm keeping this secret and only you know, because we're one and you need to know that. So I don't want you to worry about me, but I'm going to stop eating. And I determined that I was going to stop eating until I saw something happen. It's kind of a weird thing. I've never done it before and I haven't done it since. So so I did, okay? Here's the odd part. I stopped eating and I'd never got hungry. During the time of my fast, I was praying for him. I was thinking about him and his family. I was thinking, I was praying, 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 feeling that burden. I would get up, I would go to work, I'd wash my face, and no one would know. And I'd get home that night and, and I'd look at my wife, I'm not gonna eat. You know, I, I wouldn't really say much, I'd just go on about my business. And then uh, that was on the, uh, I, did, I started on a Friday. Sunday, we went to church. I was praying. You know, uh, they had been invited to church um, a couple times, but they didn't show up. But I didn't, we didn't go out of our way to talk to them either. This was just in prayer. This is quiet between me and God. Then we started our vacation Bible school at our church. And one of my jobs was I would keep the kids before they would go into the church. So they would go in, they would have a meal, then they would come outside and they would play. And sort of, I would try to run them to death, you know, and get all those wiggles out before they go into the church. And so I was outside with them, you know, with the kids or whatever. Monday came, they, I didn't eat the meal. Tuesday, I didn't even, I stayed in prayer. I mean, guys, I didn't eat anything. And then Wednesday came you know, still hadn't heard anything. Got to be pretty miserable at this point. <laughs> not, I'm not feeling anything. I'm just, I'm still, my mind is cl getting clearer, I guess from not eating and not all the things, like I'm beginning to get clear. My prayers are becoming more and more in tune. Like I'm, I almost feel like I'm a, I'm not lying. I feel like I'm able to move the universe. It's what it feels like mentally. It's unbelievable. It's very, it's, it's such a higher plane. I haven't done zone. it since guys. I've never done it since. So Thursday comes and I go in and I, I remember they were serving Subway at the, like they brought a big platter of Subway, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about the food. I just remember it. And so I'm out there and I'm with the kids and I hear this man from behind me say, Hey brother. And I turn around and it's him. I asked my wife, did you ask them to come? She was like, no, I didn't. This is a Thursday night at a vacation Bible school. Thursday night. I could understand a Wednesday if you were going to come to a Wednesday church, but this is, a, it's odd. It's an off day. It's off. Or, yeah. The minute I saw him, I began to starve to death. Just like that. This is a true experience, guys. Before the Lord and everyone, this has happened to me. This really happened. So I'm sitting there and I suddenly get hungry and I'm like, hey, what's going on, man? He's like, 
Man, I, we heard that you guys were having vacation Bible school up here. I don't know when we heard it, but we were just talking the night and we thought, you know, we ought to go up there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I was like, awesome. And I was like, well, there's a class up there called How to Read the Bible. And I was like, that's your age group. So, you know, go up there. So they went up there. And then my wife looked at me. And she was like, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You know, uh-huh. like they're here. And I was like, I'm starving. So I went into the, <laughs> after the kids, like I went in there and I was like, can I have something? And they're like, here, sure. You can take the whole, they gave me the whole like spread, you know? And so I took it home. I ate the whole thing. And then that Sunday came and they didn't come to church. And that Sunday night came and they didn't come to church. And I thought, oh Lord, that was odd. But I felt like you had released me of that fast. Like you were answering my prayer, but I appreciate you, you know, bringing them. Wednesday night, they show up at church. And so suddenly, like, I'm feeling something inside my spirit, and I'm like, you're getting ready to do something, and I'm going to watch it. He's going to reward me openly. The preacher preached on being slothful and misusing your money. That's the last sermon that you want for a salvation sermon, trust me. The woman, the wife of the man, is gripping the pew so hard that her hands are pure white, just gripping them. And I went over to her and I was like, are you okay? And she was like, I need to speak to your pastor now. And I said, okay. So I went and got the pastor and brought him back. And he sat down with her. And then I went out into the vestibule. And while I was there, I was just kind of like looking in watching or whatever. Well, the husband, the one that I'd had the burden for that I prayed Mm -hmm. for, looked inside and he was like, what's she doing? Wait. And he started to go in there to get her. And he was literally trying to reach over to grab her. When she turned around and she'd burst into tears that she had been saved. Like she had this yeah. salvation experience right there in that pew. And he talks about it to this day because it was two weeks later that he went down to the altar and was and, and asked for salvation, you know, to forgiveness of sin and, for, and salvation. Guys, they've been in church for seven years now. All their children go to church. They they are they're a Christian family. I never said a word. Not one word. I didn't oh, even you, tell them about it until last right year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, that— I believe in prayer. But I believe I'll in always miracles. have that. I believe in faith. Yeah. I believe in that feeling. Yeah. I'll always have that. because He let me have that experience, and because of that experience, it's seeing things happen outside of my control and all that happened. I even bugged my wife about it a million times. I was like, did you go behind my back because you were worried that I was starving to death and tell them they better come to church, your husband's never going to eat? Like, did you do that? Because it sounds like something you would do. And she was like, I never said a word. It would have been a quite a strange conversation, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Can you please come to church so my husband doesn't die? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um. Okay. <laughs> I guess we got to go to church, man. Something's wrong with her husband. He ain't eating or something. Thinks he's Gandhi or Gandhi. Gandhi thinks he's Gandhi. Thinks he's Gandhi. Well. Neat story. Thanks for being here, Ralph. Yeah, thanks for having me. So next week we won't be here, but we'll be here in June. That's right. So then we'll be back with Billy and get back on topic. So thanks, Andy and everybody. And thank you. Yep. Good to see you both. Yep. Thanks for joining us on Side Study, Side Study, Side Study. I can put some echo in. Just do it once. <laughs> side Study, Side Study. <laughs> you guys talked over each other. I can't use either of those. Side now. Study, Side Study. Oh, well, we're back without Billy. This is a special edition 
as you heard, Ralph so uh, machismo, macholi as <laughs> macholi a word. <laughs> Say uh, we've got uh, Ralph Hicks here. He's back after taking the mark of the beast. And uh, <laughs> look, somebody's getting ready to take the lifetime mark himself. Hey, now the marriage is not mark of the beast. <laughs> I'm two shots in now. Was I last time? No, well, I hadn't had my second one. So yeah. yeah, how'd that go? Oh, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It's about like what a lot of people reported. I got it at 10:45 a.m. and by about 10 p.m. or 11, it was like cold sweats and hot and cold and hot and super hot. But then you just, if I got out of bed, you know, and went to the kitchen and back, I was freezing. So it was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was miserable. But by the next day, I, I. I wasn't 100%, but I worked the next day and I wasn't that bad off. I just didn't feel great. You know, it was fine. I went through it. I feel like I went through it a little bit faster than some other people did. So, yeah. What about you? I had my second shot two weeks ago today or yesterday. And I was eh at night, that night. And then the next day, I just was achy. Just my joints ached, but that was it. Yeah. Well, I... (laughs) I haven't taken it yet. A lot of people think it's for religious reasons. It's not. It's because I don't care. And maybe I'm one of those people that should care, but I don't. And uh, Donna told me the other day, I said, she goes, I heard you're not taking it because you think it's the mark of the beast. And I was like, no, I was joking saying that it was the mark of the beast. You've heard of, you've heard of jokes, yeah. right? You know what? Yeah. You know what Sarcasm. a joke is. And then she said, well, you obviously don't care about other people's little babies. I was like, okay, I'm still not getting it. You're right. I wow. don't care about other people's little babies. <laughs> not like you're standing out in front of the clinic. Yeah, it's so strange today what everybody expects of you. Like, you have to do it. But, I mean, I wear a mask. I think that's, you know, that's the right thing to do if you go into a public place. I mean, obviously it's expected, but there's still a lot of people that don't even do that. Oh, I'm not quitting with the mask. Yeah. I'm, I'm into masks. Sure. I, I know a lot of people that usually get sick. As a matter of fact, Holly even mentioned that she's usually sick twice a year. She hasn't gotten sick. It's probably because she's wearing masks. Everybody was so into the like, so what's how come there's no flu? Yeah, everybody's staying six feet apart and wearing a mask <laughs> everywhere humanly possible. What do do the math? I think everybody's going to start. I mean, that's what it's like in Japan. And if I visited Japan twice and both times I've been, most people were wearing masks, especially on the subway. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's like, it's just culturally different there. Or if you, you got a, if you got a cold or you just don't feel good. Yeah. You just wear a mask sort of as a courtesy. And right. everybody else just maybe out of fear. Who yeah, knows? But they're about as courteous as you get. Yeah. Are you comfortable in there with that AC running? Yes. <laughs> so if you hear that extra sound, guys, it's Andy. And I told him he could keep that AC on. So it's I not mean, a bad it, mic. It, it doesn't come a, through. It's only on his mic. And he, he solos that out so you don't hear it. Yeah. Okay, but he'll hear it. Yeah, when I talk probably, but... I'm a creature of comfort. There's a there's an AC in that back room. It's just quiet. Ah. Yeah, I want to get one of those put in this room. I just got to get that done. I don't want to put the money into it, but that's I'm right. sure it would be nice to have. Whatever. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Going into summer without one. Well, so Billy Kimsey has uh, slaughtered an animal and is uh, currently gutting it. <laughs> that's why he is not here. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Like He's like, sorry, buddy, I... I to, we killed a cow, we killed her beef, and I'm I'm deep into that thing. I won't be done, but I can I can come back and do this Friday. I was like, yeah, that's not how it works. Like <laughs> with the scheduling, studio time. But yeah. I'm so glad that you slaughtered an animal. You know, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad if he brings us some hamburger meat. <laughs> yeah, 
That would be a fair trade. You make it sound like he's arm deep in it, though. <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah, he, literally. Oh, he's pretty manly. He punched it to death. And then, you know. No, that's what I always tell all my friends that go deer hunting. I'm like, you want to impress me? Jump out of a tree with a knife and kill that thing. Like, <laughs> that would be impressive. Doing it from behind a blind with a gun that you, you know. Yeah, you can shoot a half mile with. That's yeah. not any fair. That's not fair at all for that little guy. I have friends that use a bow and arrow. I'm okay with that. Not a, not a crossbow. Oh, a bow yeah. That's, that's, that's work. That's yeah. I mean, even hunting, hunt or like hunting with a gun is more about patience than skill. But but it, it does take a lot of patience. But man, bow hunting is yeah. That takes some skill. You have to it get really close. Does. You have to get kill, close and yeah, aim a bow. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. My uncle killed uh, a bear, like a black bear, with a bow, and I thought that was pretty intense. Really, I mean, a bear. <laughs> no thanks. Depends well, on what you're shooting. 